The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we have before us here an important passage just full of immense and beautiful truth. So what I ask you this morning to guide our thinking and speaking through this passage that as we pick up just some of the nuggets that are here that you would help us to pick up the right ones for this morning and to put them in the right order so that we can see, marvel, grow, and enjoy this life that you've given us. It'll take your work for that, so we ask you to do it. You order our time, order my speaking, order our listening. Spirit of God, will you, will you control our time here so that we think about you rightly and are changed? That's our hope, that we would think about you, God the Spirit, rightly and be changed. So please accomplish that in our midst. Build your church and do so to the honor of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I heard it. <laughs> Got a little friend in the back row. <laughs> Turn our attention this morning to Romans chapter 8 in order to conclude our short series on resurrection life. The life that comes to us, comes to Christians, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Last week in Romans 7, we came at this topic by considering how most people, most of the time, in most situations, want to do what is right, what is good. Not everybody, of course, not all the time, of course, and, and yes, we'd have to have a discussion about what is right, about what good, what it is to be good. We, yes, we need to talk about all of that. But given God's common grace and how it is that God made all of us in the image of God, people, all, all people are generally speaking inclined towards and repelled by, repelled by evil and inclined towards what is good. That's, that's true for humans. And it is particularly, much more deeply true, much more important, much more ingrained in Christians. We know God relationally. We, we've come to know him. And so we know, how, we know much more what is right and what is good. And we have hearts that very much want to please God, want to honor him. We want to do good to others. And we know that that is actually good and, and blessing for ourselves. So we Christians have, have a different, even a more, a more profound bent towards what is good and right and pleasing. We want, to, we want to do that. But the question is then, how? How do we do that? And the answer we saw last week in Romans 7 was not by the old governance system of the law of Moses. A governance system, a, a system by which what is required is expressed and then enforced. So not by the old governance system of the law, but instead by the new governance system of grace. 
talked about that, and then we talked about how that works. But I finished that discussion last week with a, a pause, you may recall, saying something like, and so by, God, by grace, moves us to follow his decrees, which is an allusion to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and its mention of the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to save till next week. And here we are in next week. So we're here now to consider that in Romans chapter 8, picking up the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to think a little bit about how the Spirit moves us to follow God's decrees. But actually, I think there is something else here on the table this morning, something else for us to consider that I think is actually even more important than how it is that that God moves us to do what is pleasing and right and good. Remember, the big picture here in, in this really short series, this five or six week series, five week series, the big picture is resurrection life. I'm emphasizing that word life. We're thinking about the life that is available to the Christian, this new life that God has brought us into. Or perhaps we could turn that around and say the new life that God has brought into us. And this new life is a life characterized, yes, by living in a way that pleases the Lord, doing what is right, yes. But more than that, it's a life characterized by good relationship. That's something else that we all really want. Christian, non-Christian people, we all really want relationship, good relationship. Even those of us, like myself, who would say we're not very relational. And, and that's me, for sure. Half of us here, probably. Even us, we, we really want good relationship. It's expressed in every wedding, often glimpsed and enjoyed in, in that, that moment when you're with, with the best friend over a cup of coffee or over a, a special meal. It's felt warmly as you embrace a child or a parent. It's felt painfully as you say goodbye temporarily or permanently. Good, whole, sound, sweet relationship is at the core of life. It's really pretty hard to think about a good life all alone. Yeah, for sure, relationship is fraught with difficulty and relationships can really hurt but we still keep getting into them on purpose. We still keep dreaming about them and writing about them and singing about them and remembering the ones that are gone and longing for new ones, better ones, good ones. We find life in good relationship, or at least we're convinced that we can. So we keep pursuing it. And the good news is, that this life that we're thinking about here, this resurrection life, 
It's a life of relationship. Of real good relationship. The best ever. What we were made for. And what that constant inner longing, that constant pursuit is actually a a deliberately given testimony to. There's something out there for us. So we're going to think about that today too. And and I, I really think that this sort of sneaks up on us. Because we're coming at Romans 8, and we're coming at it from Romans 7, we're coming at it thinking about the Spirit moving us to follow His decrees. And so we're going to be thinking about that, and in my mind, how this works is, and then what arrives is, oh, look, it's actually about relationship. Huh, yeah, good. But it sneaks up. It's here, though, in Romans 8. If we think about it, this and the life in the Spirit. And once again, I'm taking a very big bite of what some people have called the most important chapter in all the Bible. Now, you, you may think, if, if, like, wouldn't that be like Romans 3, maybe, which talks about how God saves us? Or wouldn't that be, I mean, John, John through John 3, 16, it, but this, because of, this is such a big chapter, there's so much here. Some people call this the biggest, most important chapter in the whole Bible, and I'm going to do one sermon on like a half of it. So there's no way we're going to do justice to everything here, for sure. But we think about resurrection life coming to the first 13 verses of this chapter. I'm going to make two observations from it. Here's the first. We've been raised to be those who walk in newness of life under the ministry of the Spirit. We've been raised to be those who walk in newness of life under the ministry of the Spirit. Each of the last three weeks, we've seen and we've used different sets of contrasts to address the change that God worked in us when he saved us. So we've seen in Adam versus in Christ. We've seen bondage to sin versus free in Christ. We've seen that contrast. We've seen under the law versus under grace. And each time, in each one of those contrasts, the basic message is God did something. God moved you, Christian, from that old realm, from that old sphere, from being controlled by and influenced by and affected by this old. He moved you into the new. So this is now what you are. And God did that. It's all by the work of God. So we, we don't want to live like the old, so there's, there's a call to, there's, there's an implied, often explicit, but always an implied call to live like this new, but fundamentally, each time, each, each one of those contrasts is describing what God did, that the move has been accomplished. From the old to the new, and God did it. And so today, we get another one of those old, new contrasts, in the flesh versus in the spirit. Verse 9 lays it out quite clearly. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 9. So, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are not a Christian. But every Christian, every Christian, you are not 
in the flesh. That's, that's a part of the, the old. That, that's a part of that old you with all those, other, all those other descriptions there. Every Christian, though, you are now the new. You are in the Spirit. Now, in this passage, in a couple of verses in particular, there are some very important things here that we could learn about the old, about what that was like, what it was like to be in the flesh, and particularly we could look and learn some important things about how the sovereign grace of God is needed to move a person, to, to save a person, and change them from the one to the other. So there's a lot there, but that's all another conversation. Our focus here this morning trying to think about the new resurrection life that we have now so our focus is on the new on what it is to be in the spirit what we see in the first four verses is that christian this is this is all of us the one in christ there is now no condemnation but instead a new empowerment to live and this is the doing of god so this is descriptive this is what is because of what God has done. For every Christian, he's telling us what is, not what we are to do, though there's guidance from this we'll see later, but every Christian, you face not one whiff of condemnation. Of course, God may disapprove of something that you do, but he has no condemnation for you. Zero. Never again. We no longer stand under the law that brought only sin and death. That's the written law of Moses. We've been set free from that, and we're now under a new law, the governance system of the spirit of life. This kind of should make us think about some of the things we saw last week in Romans 7. We're under this this new governance system of the spirit of life, this new empowerment to live. It's what he's getting at in the first three verses, which brings us to verse 4. And so look at this. It might be helpful if you, if you have a, the Bible text in front of you and you follow through, because I'm going to hit fast forward here and I'm going to run us from verse 4 all the way to the end of verse 11 here. Because we need to see a, a picture. This is a long, descriptive thought. All Christians are like this because of what God has done. Why did God do this? Why, why did God set us free from this, this law of, of Moses and put us under this law of the Spirit? Why did he do that? In order that he condemned sin, made it powerless, made it null and void. In order that, this is God's purpose, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us meaning in us Christians. We who walk according to the Spirit, says there at the end of the verse. And continuing on to verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit, walking and living, same, same idea. Those who live according to the Spirit, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. That is, verse 6, we set our minds on the Spirit and have life and peace which is because, verses 9 and 10, we are those who have the Spirit dwelling in us. Verse 10, if Christ is in us, which he is, then though the body is dead because of sin, we, we still struggle with sin, we still have fallen natures and a tendency to volunteer to serve sin. 
We don't live according to the Spirit perfectly. But nonetheless, the Spirit in us is life because of the righteousness of Christ and our freedom from condemnation. We'll be raised never to sin again one day. Well, that's a mouthful, 1 to 11. And we could stop and preach a sermon about every one of those verses. Multiple sermons about every one of those verses. Easily. And I'm sure as we read that, and as I give brief summaries of those statements, there are questions that pop to mind. What about this? What does that mean? And those could all be explored. But if we look at the big picture here, taking a big bite, if we look at the big picture here, one thing stands out to us, I, th I think, clearly. This is describing what we are in Christ, not telling us what to do. Verses 12 and 13 will tell us something to do. And there's implication in, in, this, in the description of verses 1 to 11. There's implication there. That's gonna, we'll see that. We'll come to that a little bit. But this is about what God has made us to be. We are people in the Spirit. So we need to see that first. And, and you should see that and be stunned by it. Now, I realize when I move through that quickly, it's hard to kind of take it all in and be stunned by it. But glance back over it. That's why it's helpful to have it in front of you. Glance back over it. Look at that again. There's, you are a person, Christian, you are a person upon whom there is no condemnation. You are not governed by the law of Moses, but are governed by the Spirit. You are a person in whom the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. You, you are a person who walks according to the Spirit, who sets your mind on the things above, who is filled with the Spirit, and though you still struggle with sin, are certainly promised and destined to be raised again to life, never to sin again. That's who you are by the work of God. 1 through 11. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and when you look at that and, and see it and regard it as amazing and perhaps are even stunned by it, it's the, the scope of all that, maybe at that point you notice, you know, it's just possible... <laughs> that the question we asked last week about how do I do the right thing is a little too small of a question. That's maybe, now, maybe you thought about it in the right way, but, but perhaps really what was going on is that maybe we asked that question in a way that turned this work of God into some how do I choose and do the right here, that's all God's concerned about. And to help me do that, he's going to give me a little bit of Holy Spirit power. It, we could have been looking at last week and kind of thought like that, and that's, a, that's way too small. What this is really about, we, we flow right out of seven Seven, which mentions the ministry of the Spirit, right into eight, which is all about the Spirit. And what we see here is that this is not just about getting me to be able to do the right thing. This is really about making me a human being. 
what? I am a human being. Sort of. Sort of. This new life, this new resurrection life that God gives you, what it is that he's doing when he gives you that life is he's raising you up to be a real, true human. Fully human. No longer a twisted, marred, crooked version of a human. Full, beautiful, magnificent, glorious humanity. The image of God again. With the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in you. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and might and strength, with all your all, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That your mind is set on the Spirit and you walk with Him in a way that matches Him in accordance with Him. And that you know life and shalom. This is about. No longer bound by the flesh, that's the old. That, that flesh, it's a slave master, a, a master of self-focus, of self-love, of worldliness, which in verses 7 to 8 is hostile to God. Unwilling and unable, it says, both unwilling and unable to submit to him and to please him. That's what it is to be bound by the slave master of the flesh and to be set free from that, free to live to God. If you remember the language from Romans 6, free to live full of life at peace with God and with others, with God as your all in all, with God everything in every situation, righteous and fully pleasing to him, yes, full of holy joy. That's what God's doing. That's what God did when he moved you from old to new. This is who you are, Christian, every one of you. And that's much bigger than just about changing some behavior. He did that and is doing that, all this in Romans 8, by the new law, by the new governance system of the Spirit in Christ. That is huge, especially when you realize it's descriptive. I say it again, that's who you are if you're a Christian. Which, which may immediately make some of us pause and say, that's not who I am. I mean, <laughs> righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in me? Love the Lord with all my all, love my neighbors and so I mean, you know, not really. It's not me. I don't always live according to the Spirit. I don't always set my mind on the things of the Spirit. I don't know life and peace. 
Now, my experience, it's hard to see that as descriptive of me. Now, if you're telling me, Steve, that it's a command, that makes sense. If, if this is what I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. I'm supposed to set my mind on things. That makes sense. That I can understand. But descriptive, that's who I am? That's, that's not me. That's not me. Well, that is you. Because the only other alternative here is not Christian. Two things in the passage. Person in the flesh, not a Christian. Person in the spirit, a Christian, like this. Two things in the passage. It is you because of what God has done. What's going on here is, is maybe a bit like, let me change the conversation here and say, if, if God, for instance, were to say to a woman, you are a woman who knows the queasiness of morning sickness and the oddity of strange food cravings. You walk with bloated ankles, a sore back, and you frequently wake up to go to the bathroom. You know the joy of new life and the concern of that responsibility. That's who you are. And the woman replies, wait, that's not me. It's not my life. My ankles are just fine, thank you, and I sleep through the night soundly. This is, I'm okay. It's not me. And then God replies, actually, that is you. You just became pregnant. And the new life has been implanted in you. And it's growing, and it is taking over. It is. Not fully yet, not fully yet, but it's true, and it's living in you. And actually, I bet you, daughter, I bet you, says God, that if you were to stop and think about this and actually pay attention, you might actually even notice a little bit of change already. You might just feel a little bit different. You might feel a little bit of those hormones kind of running through you, just a little bit. You could skip it. You could ignore it if you wanted to, but if you stop and think, you think, hmm, okay, something is a little different here in me. It is. That is you. You are a mother. You're becoming a mother. We could also say that, but you are a mother by virtue of the new life that's in you. Christian, God united you with his son. Done. Not being done. Done. He united you with his son. And when Jesus then sent his spirit to dwell in you, really, verse 10 if you look at verses 9, 10, 11 and follow through all the language there about Spirit of God, you notice something interesting. This is a Trinitarian passage, a Trinitarian paragraph. He put the Spirit in you, the Spirit of God, that is the Spirit of Christ, that is Christ, verse 10. Christ is in you. He implanted himself 
in our hearts and we cannot get away from him and cannot overcome him, cannot evict him, cannot suppress him or deny him. He is Lord and he will reign. He's in there and he's taken over. Bless God. He will conform you to his image. He will make you a real human again. In fact, he is doing that. In fact, you are new. If you stop and think about it, I bet you can actually notice a little bit of change already. If you could skip it if you, if you don't pay attention, but if you stop and think, I'm different. Sometimes it's hard to notice because we, we are most aware of what we are right now, and it's hard to think back and compare. But you notice something different about you. Are you this fully in your experience right now? No, but you are a little bit. Can't not be. Because Christ lives in you. He has moved in, and the renovation project is fully underway. You are graciously, by grace, being governed from within. This is what God's saving work is all about, to condemn sin and to bring you, his beloved, to life again in union with him. In union with him. In relationship with him. Here's where it sneaks up on us. This is actually not just about getting me to do the right thing. This is about relationship with the good one. Oh, sure, that's, that's not going to help me to, to do the right thing in certain moments, but this is really, it's really about me walking with the Spirit. That is me walking with Jesus. That's what the whole thing's about. Jesus is not utilitarian. The spirit in me is not just helpful to get me to be holy. It's about me and him, which will make me holy. It's about this. That's what the whole point is. That's the point of the gospel. That's why he condemned sin, so that he could move in and relate to you, to commune with you, to be united with you from now on forever. And that's who you are, one in union with Jesus, which is the hope of glory that Christ dwells in you. That's the hope. The hope of glory is not that we would become better obe obeyers, but that we would know, live with, walk with forever Jesus himself. And God, by sovereign grace, did that for you. That's a good God. He's bodily present with he's not bodily present within you. He is his spirit is present within you. So he, he communes with us. He relates to us by his spirit dwelling within us. And he comes to each of us to dwell in us and to dwell among his whole church to govern us towards holiness, yes. But to give us himself first, foremost. This gives us great joy. Of assurance, great comfort from his presence, conviction from his truth, guidance from his wisdom, 
like any relationship. If you, if you live in communion with somebody, you get all that from them. You get, you get from them what they know. You get from them the enjoyment of who they are. You get from them all of their resources. That, that's what relationship is like with someone. And here you've got relationship with God by the decision and the power of God. How kind. How kind. How kind. That is God's gift of resurrection life. Life in union with Christ. Life of Christ in us by His Spirit. It's actually all about relationship. And then we could talk more about, if we had more time, about how that then produces relationship with other people who likewise are indwelt by Him. And it does. We need to move on. This relationship with the good ones, what we long for and we're made for, and what God has delivered to us, real, full humanity, not lived in the pursuit of self, but lived in communion with him to the praise of his glorious grace. God has done that for us. And so we're raised to walk that life. Which means then, secondly, we should live out this life that we've been given and not try to go back. We should live out the life that we've been given and not try to go back. We are righteous before the law, righteous before God, period, so there's no condemnation on us, indeed, for sure. We are in the spirit, not in the flesh. That's how we live. That's who we are. That's the first point. But then, there is obvious implication for any particular moment and any particular situation or decision. That's who I am. Then I can know how I am supposed to be in any particular moment or any particular situation. I'm supposed to walk in this, live in this, in a way that is in accordance with the Spirit, in a way that matches the Spirit, that is Christ, that's Christ-like. That's how I should be in any given situation. By the Spirit's power, now actively fulfilling the righteousness that God requires. That's who you are and who you should be both. So we have to recognize that first this is descriptive, but then it carries obvious implication for a prescription, for a scribe, for telling us something that we should be or should do. Living in a way that pleases him that is right and good, that is a walking or a living, verses 4 and 5 uses those words. That's, that's about something that's, that's ongoing, that we're doing. We're walking, we're living, day by day. He's given us a new master, a new governance system, and then expects us to be, describes us as those who walk in accordance with that. And if you think about it, it's actually pretty similar to chapter 6. If you were here two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 6, we talked a lot about emancipation from slavery. That's the image there, bondage, slavery in chapter 6. 
And he says, this is what you are. You are free from this. You are no longer a slave. You've moved out from old to new. So don't voluntarily go back. This is what you are. This is what you should be then in any given moment. So don't voluntarily return. Don't try to go back. Similar. And in verses 12 and 13, that's exactly what we read in our passage in Romans 8. He calls us to walk not according to the flesh. Those who do that die in judgment, so don't do that. But instead, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Sin. Fulfill the righteous requirements of the law by the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. What God has provided and empowered us to be, he expects us and commands us to do. So we have responsibility here. What do we do? Well, you look at verse 13 and you see the, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. And I could point out that John Owen, the old Puritan, wrote a whole book about that verse. So what do I do? Well, there's plenty you could think about to do. There's plenty we could talk about to do. And, and a bunch of it would fall under, if anything in life, if, if I want to do or be something, then I'm going to make a whole bunch of practical decisions that are going to help me or, or hold me back. A whole bunch of that book falls into that category. We're not going to go into all that. I'm going to make one observation from this passage that helps us. How do we walk according to the Spirit? Well, there's a clue right here in verse 5. We are those who walk or who live according to the Spirit, who set their minds on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. There's another, that's, that's another example of descriptive that informs prescriptive. We are those who set our minds not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. So if one who walks in the Spirit, that's what that looks like. Walking in the Spirit is accompanied by setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. Oh, there's something that I can do. I get it. What we, if we think into that, what we realize is that, that living or walking, it first starts within and then comes out. So if I'm going to address how I'm walking in any particular situation or circumstance, I first need to think, what's going on inside of me? Are the things of the Spirit being broadcast inside of me or are the things of the flesh being broadcast inside of me? Is my mind set on self, world, Christ? What's, what's, what's the soundtrack in my head? I gotta first address that before I address what am I gonna do or say? This is the ministry of the Spirit within us in a moment-by-moment sense. He plants His Spirit in us 
to draw our minds into the things of God the Spirit. That's how he moves us to follow his decrees. He first moves our insides. Then we follow the decrees. Renews our minds. This is the work of God in us, to cause our minds to see things differently. So you might underline, to cause, I'm going to come back to that in a second, to cause our minds to see things differently, to cause our wills to want things differently, to cause our hearts to love things differently. That to cause, God by grace does that. I don't make that happen in me. God by grace does that. But what he uses is the truth. And he causes the truth to seem right and reasonable and beautiful and desirable. So, I cannot say, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to live in accordance with the Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to live in a way that pleases God. I'm going to live in relationship and communion with God. And I'm going to have nothing to do with the Bible, the people of God, church, sermons, Christian music, scripture memory, I'm going to have nothing to do with any of that. Yet I'm going to walk in accordance with the Spirit. No, you're not. No, I'm not. Can't be. The Spirit takes the Scripture, takes the Word of God and causes, by, by supernatural, gracious work, says, look at this. This is good. Look at this. This is true. Not that. That's a lie. Look at this. This is beautiful. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. Can you imagine this life can you see this life? It seems good. It is deception. This is the truth. The Spirit of God takes this. So, what do I do? I go be around the truth. I set my mind on the things of the Spirit and say, cause them to run in me. Lord, help me. He takes the truth of, of any one of these verses or the whole second half of the chapter. He takes all that and says, look. And causes, that's the supernatural piece, causes it to take over my inside. That's what he does. To walk or, or to live, a big clue here is to set our minds on. And then God moves us to follow what seems now right and beautiful and good and desirable. And the biggest, the biggest if, I, if I boil this down to one simple problem that I have, and I think probably a bunch of us have, I'm going to use the language, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones is the first to use this language. My biggest problem where I fall down most consistently in this is not that I don't know this. It's that I, to use Lloyd's language, Martin Lloyd-Jones' language, I stop speaking it to myself. 
His phrase is, we all need to do a lot less listening to ourselves and more talking to ourselves. Talking to ourselves the truth of God. Putting this in front of us and saying, here it is, here it is, here it is. I think that's, a, that's probably the, the easiest spot, the biggest spot where I fall down. Is that I don't take thoughts captive and submit them to the word of God. I just receive the thoughts and listen to them. We should live the new life that we've been given and not try to go back. How do we walk this new life? Set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Maybe one simple takeaway you want to write down is talk to myself, stop listening to myself. Talk this to yourself and say, Spirit of God, would you make this seem as true as it is and as beautiful as it is and desirable as it is? Interrupt the quiet monologue in your head and make it a dialogue where God's truth is given voice and believed. That's how we live out the new life that he's given us. Walk in the relationship that he intends for us and experience the joy of resurrection life. That's a good gift given us by God. So let me pray that we experience it. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in front of you and say, here we are. We need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We do not want to be, ironically, a people who attempt to walk with you by ourselves. Odd as that is, sometimes we try. We want to be people who walk with you by your enabling power, with your truth at the center of our minds and hearts. So, Lord, please, will you, will you stir us to, to turn towards your truth? Will you stir us to speak it to ourselves? And then will you cause it to run in us? Govern us graciously on the inside, I pray. And Lord, commune with us now as we, as we take into hand these elements of, of the, the communion. As we sit here and think and pray. Will you meet with us and will you build your church? We trust this time to you, Lord, and say thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.